something like that. So thanks for being here today. We are going to jump into the message today. If you're watching online, thanks for joining us online. Um, we have been in a series. This is week three of a series that we started, well, three weeks ago. I guess that's how the math works out. Um, Spiritual Battles is the name of this series. I'm good with the math, you can tell. Um, and what we're talking about is this, is that we recognize the life of faith. And maybe this concept is going to be new to you today, that um, the, the life of faith is more than just going to church and learning the Ten Commandments and trying to be a better person. I mean, that's what a lot of people think about Christianity. We recognize that as people of faith, we are engaged in a spiritual reality, a supernatural reality. We get this when we pray to God. We're praying to God not because we just think, oh, it's good positive thinking. We believe there's a supernatural element to our faith where God can move in mighty ways, that there are miracles that can happen. There is the supernatural that can happen. When we're singing the name of Jesus this morning, we're not just filling time uh, with some music. We are proclaiming the name of Jesus, believing that that is impacting our hearts, our minds, and the spiritual world that we are a part of. So I want you to kind of open your mind to that idea that it's more than just what we can see and feel in the natural. There is a spiritual element. There is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the spiritual forces that are around us. We told the story last week of Elisha and his servant, and they were facing a huge enemy that was out to harm them. And Elisha's prayer for his servant was, God, open his eyes so that he might see what's really going on. Because all he could see in the natural was the enemy. And what Elisha prayed was, open his eyes, Lord, that he could see what's really going on. And he supernaturally, spiritually, his eyes were open, and he saw all around the mountaintops, the hilltops, was God's army of angels ready to fight for them. This is what we are a part of. There is more to our faith than just what we see and what we feel. I wanted to start with a, a verse from Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. And it says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into a different kingdom. Now, some of you are thinking Colossians 1.13. I imagine most of you are thinking this because this was the very same passage of scripture that we've been doing for our scripture memory challenge. And so all of you probably have this memorized right now, right? Yeah, anyone? Anyone? All right. So what we're doing as a church is a couple of times a year, we take a passage of scripture and this is four verses and there's cards around that you can get. Colossians 1. 1, 9 through 12. So it's the four verses right before what we just read. So it all kind of ties together. So I thought, just as a refresher, since you all have it all memorized anyways, our scripture memory challenge, and around here we no longer call it a scripture memory challenge, we call it a scripture memory opportunity. opportunity. <laughs> Said with such joy. <laughs> Yay. Um, so we're going to read our scripture memory challenge slash opportunity together, Colossians 1, 9 through 12. And just in case you don't have it memorized yet, it'll be up on the screen. We can throw up this passage of scripture, Colossians 1, 9 through 12. Is there another, is that one in there? Nope, it's gone. It's gone? Oh, well, we'll fix that for the next service. <laughs> That's my bad. Um, let me just read it for you then. And then those who have it memorized, you can recite it. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And here's why. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing good fruit, growing in the knowledge of God, 
being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I love that. You're sharing in the inheritance of the kingdom of light. You are brought in as heirs into Jesus' kingdom. And then it goes right into verse 13, which we just read a minute ago. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. The dominion of darkness, he has rescued us and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And what it said right before that, to share in the inheritance, to be heirs, to have full authority. So what we see here is we were a part of a kingdom of darkness, a spiritual darkness kingdom brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is the message of the gospel. When you receive Jesus as your savior, you are transferred from kingdom to another kingdom. Um, the, that word, the dominion of darkness. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness. I highlighted that. That word comes from the Greek word exousia. I may be pronouncing that wrong. That's the Greek word that we get like dominion or dominant or domain. Also where we would get the word exercise, like to exercise or exert authority over someone. That is what we were a part of. The dominion of darkness. Control govern authority this is what we were a part of and he has rescued us out of that dominion or that rule or that authority of darkness that authority of sin the devil the enemy whatever we want to say that kingdom that we were a part of he has rescued us and put us it put us into the kingdom of his son jesus christ we are no longer under the dominion of darkness this is a great word this is should be encouraging you today this is not a kingdom that we are a part of anymore. We didn't get out of it by our own strength. We were rescued because of Jesus Christ. So this kingdom of darkness that was exercising authority over us, that was in dominion over us, now has no power over us because we are not part of that kingdom anymore. Makes sense. If you were taken out of one kingdom, an actual kingdom, and put as a citizen in a different kingdom, you would be under the authority of that new kingdom, not the old one. This is what Jesus has done for us into his kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So when I read that, I get the understanding, the reality that there is, is that there are two kingdoms. There's darkness and there's light. There's the kingdom of the enemy, and then there's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. What I don't see is a third option for us. Right? A third option to say, well, I don't really like either of those. I'm going to make my own kingdom and do that. That's not, a, that's not an option. We might think that's an option, but you are a part of one of these two kingdoms. That is a spiritual reality that we read in scripture. We, we have a part of either one. Um, it's not like if you're a parent and two of your kids are fighting and they're like, well, you got to pick a side. We, can, we can't say, well, I'm just going to be the, you know, the third party that just stays away. We can't do that. We are a part of one or the other. And by default, we are born into the kingdom of darkness. That's our sin nature. We talked about that last week. We are born with a sin nature. We are born with a, a relationship with God that has been separated, that has been damaged by our sin. We are lost. We are born into the kingdom of darkness that is authority over us. We are under the rule of sin in our life, separated from God. And our choice to receive Jesus makes us a part of his kingdom. This is illustrated really well in the book of Romans, and that's where we're going to start today. Romans 6, verse 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. I'm going to read a few verses from here. This is written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he just does a great job explaining what this means to be moved out of the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of sin. Romans 6, starting in verse 6. 
it says this. We know that our old self, that would be like our old, the old kingdom that we are a part of, our flesh, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That's a great passage right there. We are dead to sin because when we come under the mercy of Jesus Christ, our old self, our flesh was crucified with him and we were raised to life as he was raised to life in new life in Jesus Christ. So that we are, as it said, one who has died has been set free from sin. Jump ahead to verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no, and what's that word? Dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Notice the words that Paul is using there. Don't let sin therefore reign like as a ruler, as an authority. Don't let sin be the authority over you because it no longer has dominion. It no longer has power over you. A lot of Christians, what happens is we receive Jesus Christ into our lives. We receive the mercy of Jesus Christ. And we think the extent of that is just forgiveness of sin, like a clean slate to start over. That's a great thing in and of itself. But that stops way short of the work of Jesus Christ. It is removing not just the consequence of sin or the penalty of sin, but the power of sin over your life has been removed. So now we don't need to feel like we walk through life feeling like I just can't get through this sin or that just feels like the world is dragging me down or I can't help it. I keep messing up in this. Now, we struggle through this, but sin has no authority over you. There is a new kingdom that you are a part of. So it almost is a change of thinking. Get out of that old way of thinking of, well, it's just the world I live in. It's just me. You know, I just can't get over my flesh. I can't get over my temptations. And starting to think, no, I am a part of a new kingdom. Sin has no authority over my life. These are the words that Paul is using, talking about those two kingdoms, moving from one authority to another. But Paul would also write in the book of Ephesians, another letter that he wrote, that he recognizes that we still wrestle against these two kingdoms. There's, the battle isn't over in that we never have to worry about it again. Oh, now, now we're not going to ever face temptation again. Now we're not going to ever struggle again. In Ephesians 6 verse 12, it says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul is really giving us insight again to this spiritual reality. Our faith is not just what we see and feel. There is spiritual forces, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we wrestle against those. This is part of the battle. This is where we get spiritual battles. We are wrestling against the kingdom of darkness. Um, in some regards, just making sure that we don't fall into the kingdom of darkness again, but also we're pushing back the kingdom of darkness because we are the carriers of the light of Jesus Christ. So this is all insight to this spiritual reality. We are under the authority of Jesus. We're in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Under his authority, sin has no power over us. This is all good news. I can tell by the smiles on your faces this morning. But we still wrestle against this. 
There's still a battle that we are a part of. So I want to take the rest of our time this morning and talk about this. How do we kind of navigate through this? We know that we are a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, but how do we kind of battle these spiritual forces? How do we engage in these spiritual battles? And one question you might have, why does God even allow this spiritual battle? Why does God even allow the, the kingdom of darkness? God is all-powerful. God is the creator. There's nothing in, in the heavenly realms or on heaven or on earth that hasn't been created by God. There's nothing that he is not in authority over. So why can't he just like heavenly thumb, just smush the evil kingdom and be done with it so we wouldn't have to wrestle against this? Right? That would be okay. If there was that button, I'd be like, yeah, let's go. Let's do that. Perfect world. Well, here's what you can read in Scripture is that in God's sovereignty, he has chosen to allow evil to be present in this world for a while. Okay? That's important. He has allowed it in his sovereignty for the devil to be wreaking havoc in the kingdoms of evil in this world. In our own hearts, in systems, in our, in our culture, in our country, around the world, just areas of darkness that are prevalent. I do not need to explain too much of that to you for you to understand. Yeah, there's darkness in this world, right? There's difficulty in this world. We can agree with that. You're not going to get too many days from today before you recognize, oh, this world can be tough. This world can be tough. And it might just be a natural thing that you're fighting, and it might be a spiritual thing that you're fighting. Either way, you're just like, man, evil is prevalent, and it's exhausting at times. This is why Paul writes, we wrestle against this. We don't need to fear. We don't need to be hopeless, but we need to recognize, man, Evil is allowed to run amok in our world, right? For some reason, God and his sovereignty has allowed it. If you know the story of when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, um, right after he was baptized, he went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days. And then it says the devil came and tempted him. And one of the temptations, the third temptation that the devil gave to Jesus was this. He took him up to a high place and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, this is the devil saying this to Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Which when I read that, I, I recognize a couple of things. That would have been a very convenient shortcut for Jesus to accomplish a lot of what needed to be accomplished, right? That would have been a significant temptation to say, okay, let's do that. And then all of a sudden... He has all authority over all the kingdoms. Perfect world. No darkness. No evil authority. No kingdom of darkness around. Jesus would be, it would be like a perfect world for all of us. Except it would come at the expense of his soul, which he would have then bowed down to worship Satan. It would come at the expense of his obedience to God the Father and the mission that God the Father had given him to die on a cross to lay down his life. So this was the plan of God right from the beginning, not to completely rid our world of evil from the beginning, but to allow it and use his people, that's us, to go into the world as carriers of the light and to push back the kingdom of darkness, to do, as Paul said, wrestle against the spiritual forces. This is what we're supposed to do. This was God's plan. I've said this before. Knowing a lot of people, I would say to God, that's a flawed plan, right? I know people. There's a lot of people that aren't going to do good. I don't do a good job at that at times. But this is God's plan. He allows evil. And he also allows it so that people will have a choice. He always gives people a choice to choose him or to choose evil, to choose sin or the kingdom of God. 
Everybody has a choice of what kingdom they want to be a part of. And he allows it because he wants them to have the freedom to choose. He allows this darkness to rule in our world for a while. For a while. Now, here's the best news of the day. The kingdom of Jesus Christ will be fully realized one day. Yes. Will be fully realized one day. And that is our hope. That is our blessed hope. When we think about our life on this earth, we don't approach it with faith because we think, oh, this is all we get, and yay, this world is okay. Eventually it's going to be springtime here, and it'll be nice for a while, right? The winter will be cast out like a, no, eventually one day. The kingdom of Jesus Christ will be fully realized one day, fully realized the perfect kingdom that he envisioned when he was, when this was all created. No sin, no darkness, no pain. No tears, no sorrow. That is our hope. So we should always live with that hope. No matter what we go through now, we recognize this world is not our home. One day it will be made right. That is our hope. So in the midst of the kingdom of darkness, when we feel it, when we're wrestling against it, we are anchored in this reality and this hope and this assurance that God is ultimately victorious and one day it will be made right. Amen? We used to sing a lot more songs about heaven. We should sing more songs about heaven. I think we get too caught up into this world where maybe we're trying to make this world too comfortable and we're like, oh, we got to make this as good as possible. I'm all for making this world great and to, to be a blessing wherever we can. But we don't put our hope in this world. This world is flawed. It will come to an end and a new kingdom of Jesus Christ will be established. So in the meantime, what do we do? How do we battle these spiritual battles? What do we do? Well, the first thing, we got to make sure we don't do this. We don't fear. Do not fear. We don't have to fear the darkness. We don't have to fear the darkness lurking somewhere like if we, if we walk down the wrong street or just one day like the spirit of darkness is going to overtake us and all of a sudden we're going to be thrown back into the kingdom of darkness. We do not need to fear the darkness. Through Jesus Christ, we have, we have everything we need to walk in spiritual victory. Through Jesus Christ, we have everything we need to walk in spiritual victory. Talked about this at the beginning. When we're brought from the kingdom of darkness and through Jesus Christ, we're put into the kingdom of Jesus Christ as followers of Jesus. We're not there as servants. We're not there as subjects. What does it say in scripture? We are adopted in as daughters and sons. What does that mean? If you are part of a family, you are heirs. You, are a, you have the authority. Whatever family line you were a part of, it meant that you had all the rights of, the, of your parents, of your father. You had the family name. You had the family line. That means you had all the rights. You had the authority of that family. The scripture talks about Jesus being our banner, the Lord God being our banner, which means we are under his authority. If you were an army going into battle, there would be someone carrying a big flag or a banner saying, we're here on behalf of this king. That's who we are with. We have the authority of this kingdom. So when we declare that God is our banner, we're saying we're with him. We not only are with him in proximity, we are with him in authority as daughters and sons. So we do not need to fear the power of the enemy because we have the full authority of Jesus Christ as daughters and sons. We cannot be overtaken by darkness. Now, the world is full of darkness. Darkness has power. Darkness has influence. Sin, the enemy, the devil, the demons, they have power. They, have, um, they are a powerful force in our world. But when we are under the authority of Jesus Christ, it has no power over us. 
because we are not there in our own strength. And I joked about this last week. My own strength is somewhat limited, right? And you're shocked to hear that looking at me, right? What? But, you know, no, the name of Jeff does not carry any power. The demons do not flee at the name of Jeff. But at the name of Jesus, our banner, our authority, all authority, the mention of Jesus, the demons flee. So darkness will not overtake those who are with Jesus Christ. It has no power over us when we are close to Jesus Christ. I do not believe demonic spirits can overpower a Christian, a Christ follower. There's some questions that people have, and there's lots of debate on this, and people will disagree on this, whether or not Christians can be demon-possessed. Now, this might be getting down the road of kind of spooky, mystical, spiritual stuff, but I have been in the room in this country and other countries around the world where there was an evil spirit possessing someone, where talking to them, you are no longer talking to that person. You are communicating with a demonic presence, a demonic spirit. I do not believe anywhere in scripture we see that darkness overpowers the light, that demons overpower Jesus, that the people of God close to Jesus are overpowered by a darkness. I don't see it anywhere in scripture. Someone who walks with Jesus, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, we would say the scripture says that we're temples of the Holy Spirit, meaning the presence of God dwells in us. I do not believe that the Holy Spirit can just be evicted by the demons and by the power of the darkness, just kicked out and overpowered, right? That's just nowhere. You don't read it anywhere in Scripture. In John 1, 5, it says this, that the light shines in the dark and the darkness cannot comprehend it or overcome it. The light always pushes back the darkness. You never see a, a darkness come into a light room and somehow overpower it. That's just not the way it works. Light pushes out darkness. However, I believe that we can allow through our choices or just through our ignorance or arrogance, we can allow demonic spirits to influence us. We can put ourselves in environments where there is demonic presence and it's going to influence us. We can allow patterns of sin into our life. And uh, Christy talked about this a couple of weeks ago where negative thoughts, negative patterns of thoughts or habits or sins, if it's over and over again, we can see that the devil will use that like a brick at a time to build this stronghold of your life so that we see some people who just have a grip in their life about this area of sin or whatever it is that they just can't get rid of. We believe that there can be influences by demonic presences, by spirits of sin and evil. We can give ourselves over to the darkness. So we must not be ignorant or arrogant about it. But we need to be mindful that there is a spiritual war. But we do not need to be fearful of the spiritual war. We are a part of the kingdom of God. So I say that. I don't want anyone to fear like, oh, man, there's demons everywhere. And one of these days they're just going to take over and... You are under the, the banner of Jesus Christ. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. There is no power that will overtake you. This is because you are under Jesus Christ. But we must not be arrogant or ignorant about it. We've got to be mindful of where we are putting our attention, what we're allowing into our homes, into our lives. There's another thing that some people have mentioned that causes a lot of debate in the church world. And uh, it's this idea of generational sin or generational curses, this idea that somebody sinned previously in your family line and therefore God has cursed the rest of that family line with that same sin. So the reason you struggle with whatever it is, alcoholism, sexual sin, whatever it is, it's because that somebody sinned earlier on in your family line and God has cursed you with a generational curse. Has anyone ever heard that before? A couple people? Okay, good. I heard. Yes. All right. 
Generational curses, sins committed in the past which affect people, like a legacy sin. Like, oh man, like, uh, like blaming, your, blaming your ancestors for all the bad things going on in your life. Now first, let's acknowledge this. There is generational cycles. There is generational patterns. If you grew up in a home with an alcoholic, you are more likely, it's just psychology and human nature, to learn those habits of behavior. If your parents coped with stress by drinking too much, you learned that, oh, that's how we cope with stress. It's going to be more likely for you to repeat that pattern. That is human nature. We are greatly affected by the environment that we are raised in. Perhaps you are a Vikings fan because you grew up in a home with Vikings fans and you're just repeating the sins of your father, right? That actually could be a generational curse. Like, man, this seems like a bad lot in life to be cheering for this football team. This is psychology and human nature. This is not a curse of God. We don't see God saying, well, I'm going to punish this person here for something somebody else did. Now, this idea of generational curses comes from Exodus 34, the Old Testament, when God is giving the law to the Israelites, the Ten Commandments and the law. This is what it says in Exodus 34, verse 6 through 7. This is God talking. God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression for sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So we read that and we think, well, that's it. God is going to take the iniquity of somebody and pay it back for generations and generations. That's Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Now, this verse is in the context of God giving the law, the covenant relationship between God and Israel. God is speaking to the Israelites in this moment. And he's saying, this is after, you know, the story in the Old Testament where the first time God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he's up on the mountains, and while he's up on the mountain, the Israelites downstairs, oh, downstairs, down at the bottom of the, <laughs> down at the bottom of the mountain, in the basement, um, what are they doing? They're crafting a golden calf. They're saying, Moses is not coming back. We need a God to worship. So right away, like, like five minutes into this relationship, they've already crafted an idol. God gets upset. And Moses, has, he smashes the tablets, he's angry, and now he has to go back and craft new tablets out of his own hands. And This is the context of what's going on. What God is saying in this is, to Israel, this covenant relationship, if you'll just stay close to me and um, obey my commands and keep this covenant relationship, it's going to go well for you. And it's going to bless your kids. And it's going to bless your grandkids. In the same way that if Christy and I choose to live a life that honors God, to adhere to his commands, to pursue his righteousness, that's a blessing to us. And of course, by proximity, it's just going to naturally bless our kids, right? They're going to grow up realizing, oh, this is a faith in God. This is what this is talking about. This is within the covenant of God and Israel, saying if you reject me and turn to idolatry, it's going to not only affect you, it's going to affect your kids, not out of some vindictive judgment that God is going to pay back somebody six generations later for something that a, a person did. God actually speaks to this later on in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 18. This is the prophet speaking on behalf of God, and it says this in Ezekiel 18, verse 2 and 3. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord, this prophet shall no more be used by no more be used by you in Israel. 
So it's a weird proverb that they would say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. It's weird. I looked at it, I'm like, I don't understand what that means. The, the dad did something and so therefore the kids are born with crooked teeth. So orthodontics is somehow, I've paid for six rounds of orthodontics. We only have four kids, but I've paid for six rounds of orthodontics with those four kids. I would recognize there's a generational element there somewhere, right? This is a proverb that they would say, saying that the dad did something, therefore God punishes the kids. And God himself speaks through the prophet Ezekiel saying, stop saying that. Don't say that anymore. That's not how I work. That's not how I work. And it goes on to say, from now on, just talk about the way it is. People are responsible for their own behavior. People are responsible for their own iniquity. God sounds a little bit like a therapist saying to you, stop blaming your parents for everything, right? Your parents aren't to blame for everything. Your iniquity is your choice and your deal that you have to deal with. This is what God is saying. The kingdom of Jesus is victorious, as we have talked about. The mercy of Jesus is complete. If you give your life to Jesus, we believe that Jesus in his power will break every chain, every pattern. I know people in the room here. I see what moves me more than anything is people who take a generational pattern of abuse or sin, the legacy that they were handed, and through the power of Jesus Christ, write a new story because of the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't going to say, well, remember your parents did this and therefore you got to keep punished and your kids are going to be punished. These are chains that are broken through Jesus Christ. We are under the new kingdom. We are under a new covenant. Jesus has the power to change a legacy. This is what we see in scripture. An example of this is in the gospel of John, a New Testament example. John chapter nine, there's a story of a man who was born blind and the religious leaders bring him to Jesus. And their question is who sinned? Who sinned that this man is born blind? So they still have that thinking, like somebody's responsible. In that day and age, they thought anyone who was born with a disability or anyone who struggled with sickness, God was punishing them. That's one of the reasons why they first believed that Jesus could be the Son of God, because he had the power to heal people. That was a sign that he has the power of the gods, because the gods caused sickness. And so this is why they ask, this, this man that was born blind, they say to Jesus, well, either he sinned, or his parents sinned because somebody had to sin for this guy to be born blind. And since he was born blind, it means that either he, um, either he sinned somehow before he was born or his parents sinned. And so they're asking this question. And Jesus says, this is not, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. This guy's blindness has nothing to do with sin, his parents' sin, or punishment from God. And Jesus would go on to say, this guy's blindness is so that God's power could be revealed and Jesus heals this man. Jesus himself is saying this is not, your sickness is not a result of someone previous sin that God is punishing you for. Now I want to end with a couple of stories, we've got a few minutes left, a couple of stories we'll go through real quick, where it seemed like the demons, the powers of darkness were being victorious, that they were overpowering people. So one of them is kind of a humorous story. I love this story. Um, this is the found in the book of Acts, chapter 19. This is the seven sons of Siva. Um, alliteration was big back then. Seven sons of Siva, found in Acts, chapter 19, verse 13. says this. Then some of the itinerant uh, Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus who Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. 
But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That's a funny story to me, okay? <laughs> First of all, I've made this joke before, but bear with me. If you're ever in a fight and there's some debate about who won the fight, Sometimes you can debate that, like, well, I got a good punch in there, this guy got... But this guy, literally, they, they beat his pants off, right? <laughs> if you run out of the fight not wearing pants, you lost the fight. That's how I do that. That's one of the reasons I find this story funny. What it says is there was these people who were seeing the disciples cast out evil spirits, and these were exorcists, these were spiritualists, and they wanted to say, I like that power, I want some of that. And so it even says it right there in the story. They said, they claimed, I adjure you, I'm, I'm casting you out by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. That says everything right there. I'm, I want to have authority over the spirits of darkness by the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul's God. I want that same power. So what's the difference there in that moment? Why couldn't they have authority over the, over the spiritual darkness in that moment, these seven sons? Because they were just interested in the power, yet they had no relationship with God. They were not under the authority of Jesus Christ. They're trying to claim the power that Paul has in his God. This is something outside of a relationship with God. So no wonder they got their pants, you know, beaten off, right? They, no wonder they got their butts kicked. Because they, had, they were on their own authority. They were doing this just out of a mystical strength that they were trying to conjure up. Another story, and we're going to wrap up with this. Found in Mark chapter 9, verse 17. This is a story of where um, a man who has a, a child with a demonic presence brings it to the disciples to cast it out, Jesus' disciples, and, and they're unable to do that. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 9, verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Almost like an exasperated parent in that moment. Like, oh, are we still fighting this battle? How long am I going to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it often cast him into the fire, into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, that's my emphasis there, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So there's a lot going on in that story. First of all, if you read previous chapters, 
In Mark chapter 6, just a few chapters before, is when Jesus sends the disciples out and he tells them, I'm giving you authority to cast out evil spirits. So Jesus had given them the authority to do this. And you'll read later on in Mark chapter 6 of times where the disciples had prayed for people with demonic spirits and they had been cast out. So it was, you know, working for a while in chapter 6. But by the time we get to Mark chapter 9, something's happened where the disciples are no longer able to cast out this demonic presence. So what happened between Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 9? We don't really know. I have some ideas. But what does Jesus do? Jesus simply says, you unbelieving generation. He makes it about faith. He says, all the, what does he say? All things are possible for anyone who just believes. For anyone who has faith. When the disciples asked him later, why couldn't we cast it out? He said, it's only done through prayer. I imagine the disciples were like, but we prayed. But what Jesus is saying is, there's something about this that we must never lose sight of Jesus in this moment. And I believe what happened between Mark 6 and Mark 9 is the first time that they went out under the authority of Jesus to cast out demonic spirits and it worked, they were just like, yes, this is awesome. And maybe it worked for a while. And maybe like human nature, they became a little bit like those seven sons of Siva that were more about the power than about the relationship and authority of Jesus Christ. Maybe they had started to think like, man, I got some power on my own. And they started to try to do this in their own strength. This is my opinion. And they just lost sight of, no, we are nothing in our own strength, but under the authority of Jesus. That's why it must be all things are possible for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Not believe that I can do it. Believe in Jesus Christ that he can do it. All things are possible for those who simply just pray, who have that close relationship. Jesus makes this an issue of faith, not in our ability or behavior. Faith in Jesus. Similar to Peter walking on water. Remember that story when Jesus called Peter to step out of the boat and walk on the water and he took a few steps and he's walking on the water because he what? He had his eyes fixed on Jesus. But then eventually he took his eyes off Jesus and that's when he began to sink in the water. And Jesus' rebuke to Peter was, you just need to trust me. Why are you fearing all this around you? Just See how it all kind of fits together? This is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. All things are possible for those who believe, who have a close walk with Jesus through times of prayer. We must, so the takeaway today as we close is this. We must grow in our faith. We got to grow in our faith. Be like the dad of that boy who had the unclean spirit in him, proclaiming, I believe in you, Jesus. Help my unbelief. Help me grow through this unbelief that I have. I want to grow in faith in Jesus Christ. I want my walk with you to be so close that I feel like I am constantly with you, that when I'm facing the darkness, when I'm facing a spiritual battle, when I encounter a demonic presence or a, a stronghold of the enemy in our world, I walk in with full confidence knowing that by the authority of Jesus Christ, this darkness must be pushed back because that's how it works under Jesus' authority. We must have this faith, this belief, our victory in any spiritual regard is in submission to Jesus Christ in every area of your life. And faith in Jesus Christ is trusting him, trusting in that moment that when I pray, I'm going to believe and I'm going to see Jesus move, trusting in that moment that the very presence of darkness must be pushed back, trusting Jesus enough to be obedient, to prioritize this relationship in your life to make it the most important thing, to follow closely, to live surrendered in the kingdom of God. We are a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
We have the authority over the darkness and evil spirits. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So here's how I want us to close today. And let's stand together as we, as we pray, as we wrap up. Here's how I want us to close today. We talked about this a couple of times. We have everything we need for victory. Through Jesus, we have everything we need for victory. Amen? Amen. We have everything we need for victory. Therefore, let us live with boldness, intention, awareness, urgency, and hope. This is what I would love to have you receive today, this word over you. You are in the kingdom of God. Now, if you've never experienced this, if you're still wandering in the kingdom of darkness, it is a decision you make just to receive the mercy of Jesus Christ. If you profess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, it says that that kingdom transfer has taken place. So if that's you today, just say, Jesus, I receive your mercy. I want to be a part of your kingdom. I need a savior. And then you are brought into that kingdom of light. But for those of us in this kingdom, let's take this word with us today. We can now live with boldness, with confidence that we are under the authority of Jesus Christ. We got to live with intention, meaning we recognize that there is light and dark. We recognize that we're a part of a spiritual battle. We got to live with awareness, recognizing we got to be mindful of where we go, what we allow into our life, the, the things that we allow in, that there is a spiritual enemy trying to pull us away. We live with urgency because we know there's other people that need to hear this. We got to stop coasting through life. We need the Christians to stand up and say, I'm going to bring the light, I'm going to see the kingdom of God advance. And finally, we live with hope. Anyone want to just live with hope that one day it's all going to be made right? That one day we're going to see the reality of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, that all darkness will be defeated eternally, completely? We live with hope no matter what we go through. So let's close in prayer today. And let's just allow the Spirit of God to kind of speak an application to your heart today. Lord, what do we need to receive today from your word? In light of the spiritual battle, in light of the victory that you have won, in light of the authority that you have, how do you want us to live? What changes can we make? Is there something that we're allowing into our life that you would just point that out right now and just say, that is not of God. You need to get rid of that. Is there an area that we are walking through defeated, feeling that the darkness has overtaken us and we just need a, a Holy Spirit boost of of authority and boldness today and joy knowing that you are everything we need to be victorious, whatever we face. We receive that today. Just receive it. Jesus, we receive your encouragement, your peace, your boldness. Help us to walk as those who are adopted sons and daughters, full authority of Jesus Christ under the banner of God. So Lord, I just pray that you would encourage us, that you would embolden us, that you would challenge us to make the most of our days for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said...